Hey, ladies and gents. We were hoping to bring you Let It Be this week, but our files were corrupted. So we're going to jump up a couple weeks to um, Van Halen. Please don't be put off by that. Hello and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast with Josh. And this is Max. And uh, we're here this week. In uh, person. In person, yes, yes. So no more remote um, recording. Hopefully the uh, sound of our lovely voices will travel um, through your headphones to your ears and your heart. <laughs> anyway, um, we are we're, we're here to talk about uh, uh, an album by a band named Van Halen. It is Van their Halen. debut album, also, uh, called Van Halen. also called Van Halen. Exactly, number and, one. And um, let's see, uh, Max, do you have any background on this, or should I talk? I've, about- I've got so much background on this album and on this band because of a book that I got for Christmas, uh, written by Van Halen's. Uh, written by Van Halen's coordinator, um, a, a touring manager, a man named Noel Monk. And I guess um, before, I, I've just got a few questions for you, actually, okay. about, for your, about your prior Van Halen experience. Uh, first off, let's, let's, um, let's do the live events. You've been hyping up a Van Halen story uh, since last week that I, I've heard before, but I doubt or it's a, it's a very good story. It, it is. Okay. So um, this was in 1996. And I think, I think that I've alluded to the fact before that my parents didn't let me go to concerts um, until I graduated from high school. I graduated from high school in 1994. And so we found out that Van Halen was going to um, be at Cal Expo. Okay. So actually my parents had taken us to see Van Halen at Arco arena in like 1995. And, um, it was, I, I, as I recall, my dad was somewhat displeased, um, because there was, as I recall, there was one song in particular from the balance album called Amsterdam, where Sammy Hagar spoke, uh, pretty extensively encouraging the smoking of marijuana. And I think that, that pop with his, um, teenage kids, uh, did not, did not appreciate that particular, um, component, um, and so anyway, then they were wheeling back around for the second leg. And so this time it must have been in like uh, October 5 that that one was, but they were wheeling back around to the West Coast um, in Sacramento at Cal Expo, which was an outdoor amphitheater um, the, the next season around. And so we were, we were ready to rock and, um, very, very excited about it. I, this may have been, uh, this would have been our second or third concert going out. And it was, it was a trio of us. It was my girlfriend and, um, my best friend. And, um, so we had learned, okay. So the nature of Cal Expo is that it was, it no longer has concerts, but it was general admission. And I knew that um, general admission meant that we could get super close to the the artists, but it required really no consumption of any fluids whatsoever. So I believe that I went for uh, many hours uh, not drinking anything, um, knowing that I did not because the, the nature when you leave, what, your seat's gone. Right, right. The nature of general admission is such that it's only there for as long as you were there. As soon as you pull out, other people, you know, shove in right in front of you. And Van Halen had a fairly aggressive um, audience. In fact, so much that's, so. That's a good way to describe it. Well, well, so much so that we were separated from my best friend. And when we ran into him later, uh, he had been punched in the face. 
<laughs> he and he was not he was not particularly aggressive himself. So that uh, that is the only time that I know of of uh, of someone who I was with getting punched in the face. But sure enough, he did. But um, we were there. We got we got there super early, waiting in line. They had an opening act, uh, um, Skid Row, who I did not like, and but they were killer. They I went out and listened to them later on. Those first two albums by Skid Row are awesome. They were killer performers. It was it, I was really really thrilled. But uh, we were we wound up being very very close to the stage. Uh, we were probably I don't know. There were probably four people in front of us at any given time. Three four people. And um, so Van Halen comes out and I am very, very uh, excited and enthusiastic. In fact, I am confident that I make eye contact with um, Eddie Van Halen several times. And my girlfriend, of course, insists that it's her. But, you know, (laughs) we we know it was me that that he was excited about seeing. And same thing with uh, Sammy Hagar. Now, I know Sammy Hagar. I made eye contact with Sammy Hagar because he uh, I had a Pulp Fiction hat on. And I swear I remember him singing and then pointing at his head um, while he was looking (laughs) at me. And I, you know, at the time... um, uh, movie memorabilia wasn't very easy to come by. It's not the same. There was no internet. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's not There's the no same. Fan, there was no fan-created Pulp Fiction hat. Right, exactly. So it really was an exceptional hat. And I know that Sammy recognized that. Um, First name basis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Samuel. <laughs> um, but Edward... Like I said, um, if you've uh, ever seen a concert, uh, what you'll know is that they will often throw picks out into the audience. So, um, and Eddie Van Halen will have like, there'll be like six picks that are tied to or stuck to his microphone. And um, which I, and so anyway, they were doing Aftershock from the album Balance and Eddie threw out, I swear, at least five picks in my general direction. I know that he wanted me to have those picks, <laughs> but um, the, the, the heartbreaking thing about it is as you, you know how many picks he has because you're watching them up on the Just- mic stand. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you can count. And so I realized that he is down to one last pick that can be thrown. And I know that he desperately, desperately <laughs> needs me to have that pick. And so he tosses the pick again. And the pick is not, you know, it, sadly, I don't get the pick. But um, the in the aggressive crowd that's right in front of us, um, the uh, sweaty young lady um, turns around with eyes wide as all get out. And she says, did you see where the pick landed? And she is so sweaty that the pick actually landed on her forehead and was stuck to her forehead. And so um, my lovely girlfriend at the time um, did what any, you know, devoted uh, partner would do. And she merely uh, grabbed the pick off of the sweaty girl's head. And we backed up into the crowd and let those aggressive, possibly one of the aggressive people who, you know, punched my buddy in the face, we let them fill in so that we, uh, the I now have an, still have. I still have this Eddie Van Halen pick that I have never played with because I don't want the magic to go away. I have played with it. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was only Eddie. Now I, now I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you did hand it to me. <laughs> but um, so I, I have a fondness for uh, Van Halen going back many, many years. Uh, pri- primarily associated, well, my first memories of Van Halen, I remember being at the pizza parlor and they had like a jukebox, but it was 
like a super futuristic jukebox where they actually had like music videos on it too. And I remember oh, seeing cool. the jump video um, on this, this um, uh, jukebox, whatever they would have called it at the time, but it was, you know, super ahead of its time um, for its time. Do you, do you have more? So um, I, I, I have more questions for you okay. actually. Ooh. So uh, well, uh, uh, well actually, so first of all, next week, uh, Next week's album is my pick, and it is and it is another uh, and it, this is I'm I'm not going to continue the joke of a little known band. This right, is right. Th- this is a band that changed rock and roll in the decade that rock and roll was changed. This band's album came out in what might be the best year ever for music, 1991. It's Pearl Jam's Ten. Yes, and the reason why um that I just was just reminded of that was Pearl Jam's uh, infamous live events and how powerful the energy was. Um, I put in my notes, actually, I'd, I had uh, David Lee Roth questions, but I just realized you, the, the timeline doesn't really work, sadly, with David Lee. Wait, or does it? No, yeah. I have Wait, another you, story. Oh, 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 you have a David Lee Roth story. All of a sudden, I forgot. I cannot believe this. And I, you've heard this story before. Um, this is a shout out to my buddy, Todd Marcioni. Um, so we're at, um, so we went to go see, it was, it was he and um, his wife and myself and then uh his wife's aunt uh were we were all there together or actually you know what i think it's his wife but sorry todd um but nonetheless we're there we we're going to see the reunion tour with david lee roth and yeah, we're Arco- like 2006 uh, uh, possibly probably Probably. Okay, I think it's, I don't know um, the exact timeline, but... I don't think so, because I think 2006 was the year that they went out with David Lee Roth and Sammy together. I think it was like 2013. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe I'm off. I don't know. Anyway, I don't anyway, know. Regard- David Lee Roth is a part of this story. Uh, well, sadly, David Lee Roth doesn't play a role. He's kind of a supporting character. Oh. But um, there is stra- there's a very strange opening act in this case. It is uh, one of the Marley boys. That's one of Bob Marley's sons. <laughs> So, um, and I don't think it was Ziggy. I think it was Damian Marley. And um, anyway, so the the uh, two ladies, they go up and they're, they're getting drinks and Todd Marcioni and I are, are sitting there. And there are some gentlemen who are in front of us and they're smoking something that we do not recognize. It has a smell that is very, very strange. And, um, you know, we're feel, feeling friendly or whatever. So we just uh, knock them on, on the shoulder and we're like, what, is, what, what are you smoking like down PCP. there? <laughs> right, 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 right. And they're like, it's weed. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, cool. And so, and, and they, so they continue to smoke a large amount of weed. Apparently they're excited about Bob Marley. I don't exactly know. But um, we're uh, looking down at, uh, so, so, and they are, so the two gentlemen are right in front of Todd and I. And then Gina, who's his wife, and then his aunt is on the other side. So they're gone. There are two seats to our right. These gentlemen are right there in front of us. Well, even from the back, you can tell that something is going awry. Like the guy who is on Marcioni's side to my, to my right, right down, is starting to look like he is possibly not doing well. Has possibly smoked some PCP. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't know what's going on. And I don't even remember all the physical telltale signs. <laughs> but we were both like, this, this does not look like it's going to end well. And so the um, Damien Marley um, ends up finishing and um, they uh, – basically the dude who I thought wasn't doing very well, 
just uh, turns to his side and just ralphs all <laughs> over the ground right in front of him. Now, I feel a lot better after that. Well, and the thing is, too, I, I feel like it is, <laughs> it's a major power move on his part, too, because not, not only does he not leave, he stays, does not get up, and doesn't ever put any gum in his mouth or do anything to change it. So he's just sitting there totally, totally chill. And um, the ladies come back and they sit down in their seats. And um, so all of a sudden the lights go down. Well, the two seats that are next to them are still empty. And Marciani and I are both, both thinking, well, you know, there's somebody who's going to come here and be <laughs> very, very disappointed. <laughs> so, so anyway, I think it's midway through the second song that these people show up and you you watch them as they, you know how you, if you step in gum or soda or something, yep. like you slowly like, pick, your, pick your shoe <laughs> up once or twice and then you realize there's something wrong and so um they're they're looking around they're they're super annoyed and they call security and security is flashing their light up at uh, at us and gina is the one who's being accused of having oh i've heard this i've heard this story oh my god so, anyway, so I mean, it's not it's not verbal because the show has already started too. So, so Gina can't even really defend herself. Yeah, the dude who barfed is not he's gone. Him. He's he, gone. But he's just sitting there. He's chill. Oh. <laughs> no, he's still, he has not left. No, no, that's amazing. <laughs> and so, so then, um, so th there's the flashlight up. It's really distracting. These people are annoyed. Someone comes up to start start cleaning it. Dude, homeboy next to the guy who barfed. <laughs> is taking like selfie pictures of the guy cleaning up the barf <laughs> next to the guy who barfed. And so the way the story ends is, is that, that so there's very little movement by this guy and but but at the end as they're playing their their encore song dude stands up and starts rocking and again <laughs> no gum no no gum no nothing and just walks his way out of there i mean it, it was that was crazy I, I i cannot believe that i'd forgotten about that story even in doing the research for this actual uh, actual pod okay okay uh, i i i have more actually i th this is th this might be our biggest uh, opening section yet so um, so, uh, so first off, uh, the Van Halen book that I got was written by a man named Noel Monk, who who is both the tour manager for Van Halen and the tour manager for the Sex Pistols. Mm. They who has released, to my knowledge, well, who has released one album. Um, what do you think of the Sex Pistols? Because I've not given any of their music a try. But uh, I'm just, I'm I'm not a fan. I'm not generally a fan of punk music in general. Um, it's fine. I, I understand the um significance of it the importance of it uh same thing with like the ramones okay. um it's not my thing it's also i think it's one of those bridging the gap things too where um where perhaps if i were speaking to someone who was older than i was i would understand the legacy a little bit more and kind of understand the, the significance but for my part i've not i've not really engaged with with the sex pistols to an extent that i can that i have an opinion about it all right and um i guess I mean, I, I've got a few. I mean, I, I got a few um, stories that I think I'll uh, incorporate lightly throughout um, th throughout this podcast, just to keep it going. But I think the last thing that I'm just going to mention is um, kind of the beginnings of this band and their first tour. Uh, I think it was last podcast I mentioned that they're making 120 bucks each mm. a show, which is insane, and they were making um, off album sales sales 70 cents an album, seven zero cents an album. 
Wow. Yeah. Of an album that I think went multi-platinum or at least yeah. went platinum. Oh, definitely multi-platinum. I mean, all yeah. of their, I mean, I think all of their first, I, like, I think most of their albums have gone multi-platinum. I think, I think they all have. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I think every, well, I know every single David Lee Roth album has and 5150 also did. Oh no, the the uh, Sammy once did too. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And um and oh um oh and also uh one more um but uh but um right before Women and Children first came out, they got to up their deal. They got to make a lot more money. Do you know how? How? Warner Bros. forgot to file the paperwork to re up their contract. Oh, so they then it went null and totally void. They totally forgot it was null and void, and Noel Monk was now both their tour manager and their manager manager. So he was able to negotiate it back up to a buck fifty an album. Oh my goodness, they're yeah. rolling in dough at that point. Heck yeah. Well, what I was going to say about this, I, I, you know, you do the research, and so I, I only have um, some gut version sorts of things to say. Uh, for me, I felt like this this album did it, it. It does an amazing job of revolutionizing a form of music while at the same time remaining incredibly true to it. So what we're going to what what I noticed was the arrangements of a lot of these songs are like traditional arrangements. You know, there's yes. nothing that radical about these arrangements. Um, with, 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 with so, well, some some exceptions, of course. Yes, absolutely. And I wanted to also mention uh, uh, just a couple of other things in that, much like that Rage Against the Machine debut album, that where they label it as um, all sounds made by guitar, drums, bass, and microphone. Um, that's the case here. It's, like I said, super futuristic, but still all using absolutely traditional instruments. And as we all know, they did move into the keyboard range later yeah, on in, in their in, career. In particular, 1984. Yeah, yeah for but sure. But even before that. And yeah. And but, I, Go ahead. I have one last thing to mention, actually, before we um, start. Okay. Um, so on their f- first tour, uh, they they were the I think the term is headlining act for the first act. It's the opening act. Opening act. Yeah. Well, yeah for Sabbath, right? Yeah, uh, no. Um, th- there's a funny Sabbath story, but okay. no, the Sabbath story was I think after I think Sabbath was right before Van Halen two released. Okay. Okay. Um, but um, but no. So the um, so Journey was the main. Mm-hmm. And they had, according to Noel Monk, this was right when Journey was at what would end up being its peak. Okay. And right before Journey, but after them, a band called Mongos. Or Montrose, Montrose. Montrose. Sammy's band. Okay. Which yeah. lead singer, Sammy Hagar. Right. Which is just a... Which is a crazy coincidence. That is that is a very strange coincidence. Yeah. Other than the fact that they're California based, well, yeah. I think all three bands are California based re- yeah. regionally. Um, so that that's but the, the coincidence of Sammy yeah. Hagar. Like that's oh yeah of, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I think uh, I'll, I'll tell the Aussie story later on. But um, uh, well, I, I was going to say also it, it, we I, we haven't in a while talked about album covers, but I no. think that this is this is just an extraordinary album cover yes. of those four pictures and the fact that they were able to get that picture of. Uh, David Lee Roth in particular. Oh, with or, the microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but it's it, it, it's so good and powerful. And and it is kind of cool because uh, Michael Anthony on bass. Yeah, yeah. This I I have not uh, I, by the way, that was not the first time that I told the Van Halen pick story. It's a story that I tell in class every once in a while. And I actually over 10 years ago, I had a student who, after having heard the story, he was a real cool kid. And he was into bands and stuff like that, that he he had seen the this album at a like a used record store and he ended up giving it to me. And so I still have it in my classroom. I have the actual album of this that I got from the kid who coincidentally then went on 
to um, come back to Sheldon as our head nurse. And I worked as a peer with this kid for like five or six years. And, and you're going to be like, check out this album cover. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and, and what's funny is that, of course, he... Of course he remembered me. No, but uh, but of course he remembered me. But um, he did not remember that he had given me that album. And it wasn't until after he was on campus that I actually looked inside the album and I had a really nice letter from him too. And oh, nice. um, yeah, yeah, I feel I, I felt guilty that I because he would like well, to, because I'm like well, I, I would agree not cracking open that album. You mm-hmm. have the, yeah, you don't want to mess mm-hmm. it up. Oh yeah, totally. And so, so that that's what I got to say about this. Are we gonna do a little uh, little running with the devil? Running with the devil. Running with the devil. This is the song that convinced Warner Brothers that this that this band was that this band is on the path to stardom, and I mean, <clears throat> it. Th- this sounds really interesting because because <clears throat> aspects of it, including aspects of this song, um, they show their age. I would definitely say. Go on. But this, uh, I feel like the. It feels like I <clears throat> so. I feel like the beginning in particular, it feels just very, it feels very much like 70s rock. It feels like what it is. Okay. Um, so I feel a little embarrassed, by the way, um, because I, I it slipped my mind after I'd said all sounds made by uh, guitars, drums, bass, and microphone, that the opening of this does have that sound of that car crash or that car yes. horn in terms of that leading into it. Um, but that's I, one thing. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> Semantics. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but I think that it this is so massive in scope in terms of its sound. Um, I think, and it's interesting because this particular riff is not especially challenging. And it's funny because I've heard a lot of talk about Mike Anthony's bass sound on this song and how massive it was. But he's really just thumping, and a, that's what that's what I feel about. Note. That's yeah. what I feel about this whole song is that like the the I honestly feel like this song is in general overhyped. I don't, um, it is, I, I don't, this is not a song on my lower tier, but I, I just feel like this being the thing that, that someone was like, this is, he's also, also, um, a thing to keep in mind, uh, most of this album was preemptively written. Oh, for sure. Like most oh, of it was this, all, like, it was this, all road this, tested. Yes, and... This entire album was road tested and most of Van Halen too was road tested before they even recorded. Absolutely. And so it feels strange to me. And I feel like this is just because of the the gap the generation gap that like someone was like this is what we will give to the radios like mm-hmm. give to the radio stations because there are plenty of other songs on here um that um that i think would have made much better ra- radio uh mm-hmm. yeah radio songs than this like i like i would have like there are besides uh you really got me now which also hit the radio uh, like there are two others that it would have been like this is their first hit single that i would have been like this is the one we do for the hit single and not this one mm. i well, like it but this is I do, I do not see first hit single in this one well here's the thing what's funny is in my notes what i wrote down also perfect example of a bridging the gap thing at this point it sounds so traditional 
Yeah. And it is, it is true that, that our ears are definitely molded by um, what came after this. And so the most revolutionary things sometimes seem the most traditional later on down the road, kind of like, like seeing Pulp Fiction at this point in time um, does not uh, have the same impact that it would have had in um, 1994. And so I, I, I understand um, it is, it, it, I like the, the solo it's repetitive, yes. but it's totally um, melodic. It's an awesome solo. It's uh, I'll bring it up with, with another song too, that um, it speaks to the fact that Eddie Van Halen was interested in making music and not merely shredding yes. that he, this, he did not show off for this. It is a concise little tight musical package. This so grunge for me is normally the album. So grunge for me is normally the art, the, um, the genre of music where when I'm talking to my friend, cause I'm, I'm, I'm the grunge fan of my friend group mm-hmm. where I tell them like, there's a method to the madness. This is the method to the madness genre of music mm-hmm. and eddie van halen also i feel even though it's not grunge at all totally reflects that same feeling of like there is a method to the madness of eddie van halen that as you listen to it you can see the patterns more and more and more and it makes every song better the more you listen to it uh that's certainly true that before we move on to the next album i, I will say that um as a howard stern fan i remember years ago they found David Lee Roth's isolated vocals for this. And um, it is utterly hysterical I because he makes so many weird sounds and you don't think about it until you hear them isolated without the music. It's like, ah, yeah. Well, yeah. well and you know, like, also, well, also <laughs> I must say, um, Noel Monk is very candid in the book that David Lee Roth was not a talented singer. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of effort, um, both on the part of Michael Anthony um, well, yeah. to, 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 to go live, which Michael Anthony, Hills it with the backup vocals. He does. Yeah, we'll talk harmony vocals later on, I'm yes. sure. Oh, yes. But um, but if if you get a chance, and it's available on YouTube, it's worth your time to look up Running With The Devil Isolated <laughs> Vocals. You'll. It's really hard to ever take the song seriously again once you hear it. Because but in this case, his pitch is right on, for sure. But just the nonsense, gibberish sounds that come out of his, oh, yeah. his mouth. It, it, are, it is Robert Plant-esque, it's, I would imagine. It is very, very entertaining. Um, so... so I'm, yeah, I actually have a question about the next one. Do you think it's possible for us to play the whole the whole song, or uh, do you think we get busted for that? Um, I think you know what this is for educational purposes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we are announcing right now that we are going to play the entirety of Eruption for educational purposes. For educational purposes. So here we go.
So what do you got to say about that? I mean, this this solo. Well, first off, I was having a conversation with a friend who, um, because I was talking about, I think I brought up my math project, the um, statistical analysis of ACDC mm-hmm. on, on here once or before. Uh, if I am just, it's it's a it's a statistical analysis on three of ACDC's albums, how um, consistent they are across a bunch of different trends. And I was explaining about how the reason why I chose ACDC was it's I'm gonna use the buzzword, it's approachability. Right, right. And I use your comparison with them, the Beavis and Butthead and Black Sabbath, the how any solo that you hear that is hummable is easy to do. And that's just like, it's a rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. And this is, well, it's not easy to hum. No, <laughs> it certainly is not. In fact, I, yeah. Um, it, I think it's one of the most brilliant pieces of music in modern history. Me too. And in terms of the, the, the lack of hummability, it really does defy time sig- signature, defies key, defines any, anything that you can really any think about. Any music theory ever. Yeah, and not just music theory too, but just the the nature of the guitar and what it can do and how it should be played. Um, it, it what is remarkable to me too is in the same way that we said, or I guess in the opposite way, in the opposite way of what we said about running with the devil, how that has a um, it sounds old, sounds yes. dated. Um, this is permanently fresh. I, I, and I permanently jaw dropping. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine any, especially aspiring guitarist. Um, hearing this in the next hundred years and not being blown away by what's going on there. And I mean, like, yeah, I I remember um, the moment when I was like, oh my God, this guy really is one of the best. Because I I, I had a guitar teacher um, uh, at school um, uh, last year and he he was like, Eddie Van Halen has died. And we were all kind of like, cool. Not really known because, you know, it's a, it's a guitar class at a high school. Just for, um, if you don't know, a guitar class at a high school, uh, very few kids sign up for the guitar <laughs> class. They're like, I'm in the guitar class. So he was like, Eddie Van Halen has died. And there was not a lot of reaction. And so he played um, Eddie Van Halen doing this song for 12 minutes. Like doing this. And like, it wasn't uh, this song, but it, it was the oh, 12 minutes. Oh, it was the minute. lead. It was the, yes. It was yes. the 12 minute, the 12 minute. And that was when, and it was that in combination with this that just changed how I saw, just how I saw guitar. It, it was this. Yeah. I have to say two things about that, about the, this. Uh, the first thing is what I always say about Eddie Van Halen is that he is the only yep. artist that makes me simultaneously want to pick up and throw down my guitar. And I might've said this on the pod already. If so, forgive me. But um, the other thing though, that's a little depressing to me about that 12 minute solo or sometimes it goes into 16 is so i've seen i saw him three times and over the course of you know 20 years i think roughly 20 years 18 years each time he did pretty much the same solo and um I, i always wondered if that was somehow creatively stifling for him because of course he's he's got to play what people want to hear it's like echo bane and um smells like teen spirit except for this is well i mean it smells like teen spirit okay, I yeah, is yeah, four power there, chords okay i'll say it's four power chords i mean but it's a similar like i guess i gotta do the thing like i guess i gotta do the, the like the, uh, that mentality I, I i guess i you know that but that, also at the same time i mean in every video i've seen him do of it he looks so happy Oh yeah, well, because it is a marvelous a collection of pieces of music. It's Cathedral yeah. and Three One Six and Mean Streets and and this. And I'm not sure what the there. I'm pretty sure there's another little piece that's in there, there, there. as well. It's twelve minutes. You can yeah. fit it in. Right, 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 right. But um, 
I, I just, I just wonder what it must be like, because the other thing is, and I'm going to diverge for just a moment. I remember um, learning about growth and fixed mindsets, you know, 15 years ago or so. And I think about 10 years ago, I got a guitar magazine and it had Eddie Van Halen on the cover and had a little, little, I'll, I'll use the cliche, the little known artist named John Mayer was also inside. And I remember reading Eddie Van Halen saying that they'd probably not release any new music ever again because audiences don't want to listen to new music and it's such a chore to make it. And I remember thinking that that was so indicative of that fixed mindset. And then in that same issue, it's so funny that they both would have been in the same issue. And this was actually why, where I believe that I started to get into John Mayer quite a bit. Um, John Mayer, as, as I think I indicated on the original podcast, um, went through a period of time where his ego yeah. uh, needed to be checked. And as, as most young um, musicians who get famous young do said some things that he shouldn't have said, tweeted some things that he shouldn't have tweeted. And what his response to that was to kind of go into a cocoon and learn from it and reflect upon it. And the difference between what felt like anger or bitterness from Eddie versus John Mayer's willingness to acknowledge and embrace his flaws and mistakes and grow from them and learn from them. I just feel like, like it, it, it really colored my perception of Van Halen beyond that. Now, of course that's the individual and not the music. And so the music lives on forever. In fact, you know, when Eddie Van Halen passed away, I, you know, used my immense social status to post a meme on Facebook. And it was him holding up a piece of paper saying that, um, you know, I'll never be gone. All you have to do is turn on the CD or something along those lines. And so I still have immense fondness for um, his work, but I just, I just remember thinking that that's, that's a pretty sad and kind of bitter way to look at things, especially when you think about how universally beloved his music was, I mean, how much joy he was able to bring to so many people and also in his own voice that there, you know, there's no, he was not pretending to be somebody else or playing yeah. somebody else. He is straight up Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, he, he, he was not, now my, my Led Zeppelin not knowledge is more limited than yours, but he's not like the Led Zeppelin guys who were creating personas of themselves that people would attach to. He was, yeah. 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 I, I, I would agree with that. Um, I do think, um, I think it's probably time to move on though. To read to you. You really got me. You now. really got me. This, I, even though it's a cover, this might be my favorite song on the album. Yeah, interesting. It's so good. It, it, I love the song so much. I. Do you think that the lead in with Eruption uh, it benefits from that? Um, I don't actually, because I, I feel like the lead in from, it's so that no matter, whatever comes after Eruption is jarring. No matter what, because it's so unique. It's such a, a, a an anomaly uh, to have on any album like just a wailing solo like that is or he's not wailing but like a, a solo like that is i feel like no matter what whatever comes next feels strange 
but I adore this song. Also because um, this song, I will admit, does not have the cheesiness that um, the later lyrics on later songs definitely have. Possibly. It, it, it has some cheese to it, definitely. The, you, the concept of You Really Got Me Now is, uh, is incredibly uh, subtle. But um... Well, the thing is, is I feel like it's the most basic song on the album laid next to the most complicated thing that he does. Yes. And so I think that that gives it an extra heft. Um, it is a cover of one of the first rock songs, possibly even one of the, the first, you know, rock slash metal songs. I mean, in terms of a riff, I think it's thought of as the first riff. Yeah. Um, and this is by the kinks. It's interesting because yes. I am reading, I'm reading the Led Zeppelin book right now. Um, were the, they inspired by the kinks? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, and I think that it, this one, though, takes it way into the future in terms of, totally. of, of again, m what I'd said to begin with, I just want to reiterate that they're using traditional rock forms and making it, just blasting it into the future yes. and making it sound like something utterly different. I, even the leads on here, which are fair in the context of Van Halen, fairly simple. Uh, because they're fairly humble. Um, I think that, um, but it's still Even the walk ups and walk downs. Mm -hmm. bird, you're getting homie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it goes up and down, and it's great. It's so good. And then you got Michael Anthony on mm -hmm. the back of vocals, who is killing it. Absolutely. I always, I, remember I was describing Michael Anthony to someone, and I was like, he always looks. I got to show you. Actually, I've got the book with me right now, and I can show you. Um, and if you look up Noel Monk's book on Van Halen, you can see this picture. And I feel like you would agree with me that Michael Anthony just looks, I don't know. I feel like he just looks like, I guess I'm here. His expression, he is with one of the greatest rock bands ever. And his expression is, I guess I'm here. Interesting because he, he was, oh, you're right. He's, <laughs> he's, just, he's the chill one, right? Yeah, he's just like, I guess I'm next to one of the greatest. I'm like a, an incredible front man and one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Uh, yeah, well, Michael Anthony, as indicated before, those harmony vocals are... Are phenomenal. Phenomenal. And, they, yeah, I, and if you look up Noel Monk's book, Running with the Devil, and look at Michael Anthony, he does not look like he's um, sitting next to Van Halen. Right, I, I think that's purposely ironic, though. Oh, oh, exactly. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Oh, exactly, yeah. Like, that's the whole that's a whole basis persona, isn't it? Like, the, the kind well, of in the background, they're there. No, he was not. he was huge for, like, they would do bass solos. Oh, yeah, he... And he would come oh, out with right. the Jack he Daniels partied. bass. Yeah, he, yeah. He, I've seen the Jack Daniels bass. He yeah. partied. He was kind of a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> he, um... But, I mean, like, I feel I feel like it's more commenting on the common bassist. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... Yeah. Yeah. And so, rocking the future, uh, and we're gonna we ain't talking about love. Ain't talking about love. beginning of the songs with the lyrics just feeling like classic rock and classic just classic like hangover classic like yeah, just, yeah, yeah. it's hilarious yeah uh, <laughs> he, just ain't, he ain't talking about love 
Yeah. Oh no. This I had a this song. Well, first of all, this is the song that I um that anytime practically that I um that I start playing guitar or make sure that I am tuned that this is the riff that I play almost every single time. Like I I, I really do think that this is. No, like every single time, but um, it this reminds me so much of one of my old friends who was who has since passed away. His name was Greg, and this was his favorite song by um the by Van Halen, and it was so funny to me to us always because uh Greg, it whatever you think when you think of this song. Greg was the antithesis of this. Um, and it, like everything about the, the lyrics that, you know, you're semi good looking. I, Greg, as far as I know, uh, never spoke to a woman um, in, in his life. And um, the, his love is rotten to the core. And I just remember so much that um, having him just get excited about this and rock out to it. And like I said, I, I can look at it with, think about it with nothing but fondness. And I, I can't help but think of Greg got no time for messing around. <laughs> just like, like so character. But, um, but uh, you know what, David Lee Roth, I'll tell you what, that guy, that guy sells this one. Yes, he does. And he, he, I feel like it's both David Lee Roth and it, and it's Eddie Van Halen who are selling a song that I feel like on any other, like if the song with these lyrics was on the Doors album with the Doors style of playing, it would be a pretty low, it would be a lower tier song. Right. But this with, with the energy that both, that both David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen have, it sells the song incredibly. Yeah. And again, very simple riff. Yes. Very approachable solo. This is one that if you can play this riff, you can practically play 80% of the solo too. Yep. You you probably want to use some guitar uh, effects. Yeah, can't, can't but, hurt. But um, I believe you're ready to move on to I'm the One. Which th th this is which again? This is the there is a string of songs of, of three songs. Um, this one, previous one, and the next one that j feel that the lyrics show the lyrics show their age, and I feel like it's that. I don't think that the guitar shows the age of this album as much as the lyrics do. I feel like the guitar um keeps the keeps this album um prevalent, but the the lyrics feel just almost regular like not the end the energy of david lee roth is incredible but like if as the lyrics guy if you look at the lyrics it feels just very normal it's interesting because i think of this as like a total throwback song um but a futuristic throwback song if that's if that makes any sense um there's even like a barbershop quartet like thing yeah. that goes on with the breakdown um i think um i, I put it this way um i think that this album is as close to flawless as it can be. So I don't have anything negative to say about it, but I do think that it is probably musically one of the least approachable album or songs on the album in terms of a random listener. This is certainly, this it's, this is a dense song. Yeah. This is, this is not a uh, Pearl Jam's black. 
Rather oh, you no. can just be like, oh, cool, I heard it three times. Yeah, no, 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 no. This this definitely, it requires some effort on the part of a listener to to embrace something like this. But um, but that's that, those are the peaks and valleys that make a perfect album, as which, far as I'm concerned. Which, rem- this song, I just, I'm so glad I got my notes with me. This song reminded me of the, the classic debate that you would have with Sabine in the car all the time. Is it music? Oh yeah, yeah. Or is it noise? <laughs> is it music or is it noise? <laughs> and I would love to now go back and hear some of those songs that you picked for music or noise because I bet that one of them was on this album. I don't know which one. This album was definitely present. For those that don't know, in the car there was the longest debate with my. This debate lasted years <laughs> of um where um where where you would you would play like what now I would just be like it's rock it's rock music. But mm-hmm. um, the debate was with Sabine. Was it uh, because Sabine was under the impression that it was no? <laughs> she was listening. It was some song, and she was like, "This is just noise." And you were like, "All right, but what's the difference between music and noise?" And over the course of years, there were songs that were played, and just is it music or is it noise? Right. I and w- she she made judgments. She right, put right, thought right. into her judgments. She did not just do noise right off the bat. I must say. Oh no, for sure, for sure. It, well, yeah, it would sometimes take you know a full minute. For her to come to her conclusion as to me, but but which is good because obviously oh, yeah. everything you want, you want a judgment, you want a true and honest judgment. Yeah, um, the uh, <laughs> this is a very funny expression. <laughs> I also think that the that I, I wish I, I think our biggest um, uh, failing or weakness here at this bridging the gap podcast, and we've addressed it before, is drummers. Yes, I wish that I could speak more clearly because I I, I don't know for sure, but I, this is probably the hardest drum song on the on the album. And I mean, Alex Van Halen's got game. Yes, yeah. I feel like I, I, it's the same thing we said with Meg White, yeah. and I feel like it's the most we can say they got game. He's very good at hitting things with sticks. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, that reminds me, I had like a Nelson Mandela moment. For years and even not even for years, I had a Nelson Mandela moment up the the Mandela effect. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Until that's you know, a little, like, oh, yeah, for, <laughs> it took me a moment. I was like, uh, were you well, in prison? You know, they were like slaves. <laughs> right, right, right. So, but anyway, um, where I could have sworn hand to God that Alex Van Halen shot and killed somebody. Whoa, that's I don't a... know why I thought that, but I was like researching the album and then because I was doing my research and I, the whole time, the first time you picked, I was listening to the first time and I was like, those are some good drums from the guy who killed somebody. And like, I kept going Oh, for you know what? Weeks. The drummer for ACDC killed somebody. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. that, that's it for sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I had, or, or, or hold on, hold on. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, Allegedly. I don't know. <laughs> Although, to quote Dave Chappelle, it does look pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> These are just allegations, <laughs> but it does look pretty bad. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, but yeah, like I, I don't know, but yeah, like I, I just and, and and I remember what finally convinced me that I guess he didn't do it was I just <laughs> typed into Google Alex Van Halen and the one of the first ten things wasn't Alex Van Halen. <laughs> <Where did he? laughs> And I was like, well, I guess it'd be one of the first things to pop up if you did. Like, that'd be pretty. It'd be a funny Google algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy, this guy's a big Alex Van Halen fan. We don't want to throw that stuff his way. <laughs> Alex Van Halen's favorite type of tea. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to uh, Janie's Crying. Jamie's Crying.
which at this point in my listening, I had the I, I had an epiphany about um this comparing this album to Back in Black, where both this is the end of what I would call the cheesy songs, by the way. Um, but um, <clears throat> which uh, of the lyrics, the lyrics being cheesy, the guitar is fantastic. The beat of this song is next level, but and that's what I mean in that like Back in Black had these incredibly cheesy songs, but also with these simple they giving a dog a bone and let me put my love into you and then this has jamie's crying which even though it's um it 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 has its ridiculous moments it i mean the guitar is what makes these songs i feel like classics that if it wasn't for the guitar and david lee roth's energy this would be another giving a dog a bone but they revolutionized it and made it something more than the lyrics. Do you know the song A Wild Thing by Tone Loke? Probably. From the 90s. They, they, they sampled this little guitar riff in it and it's interesting because it was before I think that all of the rules of copyright had been totally figured yeah. out and so I don't think that he ended up uh, paying them for it but it is it it the drum is and then it goes Wow, wow, and that's such a good just. Yeah. By the way, you got you got a little humming. You in got you got it from both of us. Right, right. But um, the I was gonna say that the the to me that guitar lead actually does sound like crying. I think it's so well done. It sounds it it is so um uh vocalistic. I guess would be the word that, that I would sounds, use that sounds for. like a word. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We should break it out in Scrabble later tonight. <laughs> right, right. But um, it's also just like that that running with the devil solo, which this doesn't even have a solo in it. It has that lead, like wailing sort of thing. Yeah. That motif is the word that they use in in music that that goes throughout. But when it, even when it goes to the lead break, it's really just doing the riff again. And I think it's another example of him choosing like tone and melody over showmanship or just ripping, having a method in the madness. And I, to use that expression that you seem to seem to love so much, and I, I love it. No, no, hey, I, I'm I'm with you. I am disappointed that you would say that this is cheesy. Um, and I'm the one, um, but but that's all right. That's all right. I'll I'll, I'll let I, you go with that. How did how did this go? So before I um I will tell my song rankings later. Um, none of these songs are low. Okay, all of them are either mid or high. You'll note I did not defend the cheesiness of ain't talking about. Oh, love. I, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. That 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 still kills me. <laughs> Just he he's not talking about love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you need it really bad. <laughs> Okay, um, I, I think we're, oh, yeah, I, I think we're ready to move on to Atomic Punk. Atomic Punk. and roses totally rips off with mr brownstone just that no no even the next part what was was like totally totally i you mean the last riff um like it's like the beginning of each of these guns and roses totally used the beginning of they were heavily inspired by the beginning of this song for Mr. Brownstone. Well, interesting. The the only the which I love I love Mr. Brownstone. That's the reason why I was like, oh my god, this Mr. Brown is. Um. Well, like I said, I I think it's, it's in my mind, and I'm sorry, I'm going to do some humming now. Um. The only thing that I hear that's Mr. Brownstoney is the. And then it's the right after. But then then the right after for for this one it goes. 
Where is it? Where is it? Hold on. Uh, Mr. Brownstone goes. Yes. That's, yes. And you're saying those are the same sounds? I feel like, there's, I feel like they're so similar. And I feel like the, the beginning... Well, that for both, sure. The beginning of both makes the second part of Mr. Brownstone feel like a carbon copy of the other. I love both songs, by the way. But um, I just... The the similarity was striking in that every time I listened to this, I was like, Am I, did I accidentally put on... Did I put on Guns N' Roses? And I did not. Wow, that this gap ain't done but been that, bridged by me. But that that also though, but that connection made me love the song all the more. Interesting. Okay, that I, I other other than most definitely that, like I said, the staccato sort of thing. And I, I think it's better that this one's better as an opener, or the the way in which this is recorded is better than Mr. Brownstone, because Mr. Brownstone is just the 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 Palm muting, where, yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas this, this has the the uh, flange on it or the phaser or whatever that makes it sound like totally, totally like the future. And I don't know how much you're aware of like late '70s or early '80s like sci-fi culture, but it feels it feels like late '70s, early '80s futuristic stuff. Like it sounds like an Atari oh, like, to me. Like it a, sounds like- Captain EO. Oh yeah, that's the perfect example of of the sort of or if you've seen like Blade Runner or not the original, uh, not the original. Okay, yeah, um, just it, the way in which people. But I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like the yes, yeah, like, like Back to the Future. Well, like Back to the Future too, I guess. Uh, no, I'm still thinking. I'm thinking earlier than Back to the Future. Okay. Um, I'm thinking more even. Even ET possibly like like that that era is what I'm thinking more. And ET would have been the future for this because yeah. this this is this seventy six or seventy six ish. Yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the the year I guess doesn't really matter. Um, we're gonna move Late on. 70s, yeah. Move okay. on to feel your love tonight. Feel your love tonight. The opening lyric of this always makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. The, the the back of the car. <laughs> the back of the car. That just always makes me laugh. Because it feels so apologetic to be coming from, from David Lee Roth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mainly after also hearing so, some of the stories uh, regaled in, in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, read the book. I will not regale those specific stories. But, um, oh, actually, I just thought this is actually a great time to segue into the Ozzy Osbourne story. Go for it. So, so uh, Van Halen's second major tour, um, uh, they were with Black Sabbath before Ozzy left. And at this time, Ozzy had what some might call a su- substance abuse problem. <laughs> <laughs> and so did Van Halen, in particular David Lee Roth, because David Lee Roth was this, like, rich kid. And he was a yeah. rich kid who wanted to do rock and roll. And so he was very easily able to supply Van, Van Halen both with all the equipment and the venues and everything and also drugs. So they both had they, – they enjoyed their cocaine a little more than the average person. Than which the average bear. Motiv- which motivated, <laughs> which motivated um, Ozzy and David to challenge each other to what can only be described as a cocaine off. <laughs> they spent, I feel like you're making up words now too. <laughs> a little bit. So they spent about three days just doing coke. And they were doing some other stuff. They were, of course, traveling while this was happening across the country, but they were partying for three days. Well, this culminates in David Lee Roth. Well, so then, then eventually, of course, they have a show to go to. Mm. Van Halen plays, and then they get off. And when they get off, some guy comes up to Noel Monk, their tour manager, and goes, like, Hey, man, oh, uh, 
we can't find Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> and they're like, uh, guess we got to go tell, you know, thousands of Ozzy, of Black Sabbath fans that we can't have the mm-hmm. show because where is Ozzy? And if you want to know where is Ozzy, Ozzy was so strung out that he, okay, on, on the same amount of substance, uh, the, on the same amount of the substance, um, David Lee Roth played successfully. Mm-hmm. Ozzy Osbourne got into a taxi, went to the next town over, and then found an open hotel and passed at open hotel door and passed out for two days. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne was AWOL for two days, and Van Halen was just like, I don't know, man. They were literally like, we don't even know what like happened because, of course, David Lee Roth didn't know he was. Right, so wasted himself. Up. He was, yeah, he was so strung out that he was like, I guess we're gonna go play now. And he just went out and played <laughs> like a robot, <laughs> like a robot, yeah, <laughs> plug him in <laughs> exactly. And Ozzy had just, well, he was done. That's awesome. He, he lost that cocaine off. Um, wow, that sure makes my comments seem a lot more uh banal. Yeah. I was just gonna say that, um, this is an, this is another standard R&B shuffle, yes, um, that they turn into just. Uh, Phenomenal song. I know I use that word very frequently, but it, this is an album where that's worth it. And it still yeah. sounds like the future again, even though this is that same traditional format. If you were to um, take away, if if it were someone other than Van Halen playing this, this could be a uh, shuffle R and B song that would fit on a blues yes. artist um, album. This could be a Michael Jackson song. Like the lyrics. Sure, that, uh, okay. Well, no, I was thinking musically. Okay, yeah, say, musically, yeah. Uh, I was gonna, yeah I was musically, gonna, is not Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah, but the, although Eddie Van Halen did do the guitar solo to beat it. I know that. Yep. I know that. We've discussed that before. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, and this one, um, I think that this was the first song on the album. Oh, no, no. Um, this was the first song on the album that I didn't previously know that I was able to play. So in other words, like I said, yeah, like you knew running with the devil. Right. And so when you learned to play run with the devil, you're like, all right, now I know the song, but like you had to get committed to the song before you were like, Oh, now I know how to play. Now right. Play the, so this is the first deep cut yes. that I was able to play all the way through. And, um, it is, it's, it's very, it feels very rewarding to play it because it sounds like you're doing something complicated, especially you're as not. you're learning it. And you're really not, if you understand the form and function of, of blues in general or r- rhythm blues uh, in general. That reminds me of doing, doing my math uh, project on the ACDC statistics. I was talking to my math teacher and I was like, gee, there's this way where you can track like keys, mm-hmm. how you can tell like, oh, this is in this key. And if it's in this key, it repeats this pattern. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I don't really get music, so you're good. Like, just do whatever you're going to do. And I was like, it's not that complicated. Like, because it's music, people automatically assume oh, yeah. how complicated it is. It's like, no, no, no. If you just go A, D, G, it'll sound good. Right. Throw an E in there if you want to, and it'll still sound good. Well, that's that's what, what I always um, speak to about um, that that supposed magical component. It's only as magical as another language. Exactly. Like if you were just dropped down in Mexico and didn't know any Spanish, it would be amazing that these people are so sophisticated with this language. And really, it's just a language like any other. Exactly. Uh, so um, I think, are we ready to move on to Little Dreamer? Yes, we are. Okay.
right, Little Dreamer, what you got to say about this one? Little Dreamer. This this is the slow song. To come back to, every album has a slow song. Like, that's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling, I, I, I almost, I feel like every album we've covered has had a relative to the rest of the album slow song. Now, Slow Dreamer, I'm mean, not Slow Dreamer, Little Dreamer is a song that on other albums would would be a fast one. That would that, It would be a hustler on other ones, but I feel like relative to everything else, this is their slow song. Well, it's also probably the most low-key of yes. the David Lee Roth vocals, totally. too. And, like, by far. Yeah, I, I like the way that they fall into this. It's it, To me, it sounds like a funk song. It's like a funk riff, and it would have been a funk riff if had it not been for Eddie Van, Van Halen's guitar and the way in which it's recorded and the way in which he's playing it. But if you listen to the, to the riff itself, it, it is straight up in the pocket funk groove. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I dig it. I got nothing bad to say about it. I've, I've got limited things to say. I feel like, well, I, one thing is it definitely does also feel like a signal to the end of the album. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like a, this is almost like, 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 uh, um, like a flashing light. This is almost done. Right, right. We're getting to the end. I do know that this is, um, I believe that this is the only song that I've ever heard um, them doing or Eddie doing any sort of improvisation on. That really? there's there's one bootleg that I'd heard that has him do that is like a eight or nine minute version of this song. That's it. I would have imagined he would have been improvising. Uh, no, everything. I've I've not. I mean, I've seen him do a transition into Magic Bus. I think. But it was it was clear. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with it, but there was it was not spontaneous. No, no, no. Say like most most artists don't do most guitars. I would imagine don't do cra- crazy improv all the time. No, only but, the ones I listen to. Only the ones. <laughs> but like, I, I would imagine that I I would have totally imagined that Van Halen would have been throwing something on there. Nope, there is a. I, I think it, I think it's a it's a show from like 1975 or something like that. But I've I've heard him do the improv. There is also footage of him from. Uh, um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's Jimmy Kimmel where that, you know, they would do like the outside concerts at the very end. Well, um, this, it's actually a fascinating if you want to look it up at some point. Um, something happened where David Lee Roth got hit in the face like twice. Um, and I, but, but I think he hit himself in the face. Like he was swinging a mic around and he ended up starting to bleed. Like he had blood, like going down his face Jeez. in the middle of the song. And, um, Somehow he was told, he was reminded that, yo, this is, you just hit yourself in the face. I mean, let's see, he took it better than Axel Rose. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, he did it to himself, too. <laughs> um, but, um, and so it, over the course of the song, David Lee Roth goes aside, and but it's being filmed. Mind you, it's not, it is, it is an outtake. So it wasn't what was shown on television, but it was still being, being filmed. And it was in front of, you know, an audience of a thousand people or something, however many there are out there. And I saw um, Eddie Van Halen improvises for like four or five minutes. And that it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, but he's not improvising on a song and he's just, but he's he's noodling, but yeah, he was noodling. Yeah. But it sounded like a musical noodle. I, I love that phrase so much that he that, that he the, the the description of um that type of playing noodling right um, it feels it feels very just open to doing anything yeah you know whatever comes from is what comes from I fear that it's it's kind of a uh, a derogatory term though too that usually it's used as a pejorative if you describe someone <laughs> as noodling um I, I don't think so in fact I'm in love with noodling. Yeah, uh, I, both my you, you have heard me play guitar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Both my own noodle and others' noodles. Um, sh- let's move on to ice cream man. Ice cream man. Uh, oh 
my mind, I'm your eyes remain. Stop me when I'm passing by. Sing now all my flavors again. Satisfied. Hold on a second, baby. Which I feel well, the intro is total blues. Oh, yeah. Um, but well, I think the... David Lee Roth actually plays the uh, acoustic intro. That's great. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's great. I don't know. See, that's where it's kind of like, cool. <laughs> um, but, and I mean, I feel like the the pattern of it, it's, it's um, all blues. Like, I mean, of course, the actual playing is not, the sound is not blues, but the pattern feels just blues. Yeah. For me, this was the song that was jaw-dropping to me where I was like, oh my God, that is this so is amazing. I remember distinctly driving home from the Arbor Cinema. I'd probably been playing guitar for about six months and this was before Spotify and all that sort of thing. So you you know, only listen to what was on the radio and it was on 98 Rock and it turned on. And at the beginning I was like, okay, I get this. You know, yeah, I like, like, okay, okay, it's, it's a shuffle. Duh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, it's interesting. You know, I, I've always heard so many great things about Van Halen, but this, this okay, is not okay. what I think. It's good, before. and I, I kind of like it. And, um, boom. And, and then, then all of a sudden, when Eddie launches into the solo for this song, it's it hit me like a truck as far as how it's the stairway to heaven effect. How far beyond what anything that i conceived of and i'm sure i'm pretty sure we'll put it this way i'm sure i heard this song before i uh, digested eruption so i it might have i might have heard it in passing on the yeah. radio or something like that but i wouldn't have known what it was but this was the first time where, where i was like this what's going on right here is incredible yes and um this solo is not approachable at all no and I, I may be wrong about the David Lee Roth thing playing that guitar, but I'm pretty sure that it's the on, that's the only guitar part ever that uh, is on a Van Halen album that Eddie did not play. That's I'm super pretty cool. sure. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah, that is super cool. So we got one last song. We got On Fire. This is the song that they would open up all their live shows with. Oh, really? Or at least, or at least all their live shows um, during when, this. D during during this album and during the Black Sabbath tour, everything yeah. began with "On Fire." Always. I know you're a setlist guy. So I'm a definitely a setlist guy, and that's that's interesting. I've ne you know I've not heard them play this. Uh, really? Yeah. Well, because at the point, I, I'm, which... I mean, I'm, no, I'm surprised. Like, I don't know. Just feels like it was such a staple at the beginning. They would have at least kept. Kept this one, but I guess, y yeah. Well, when I saw them with Sammy, the, the theory was, or the rumor was, that Sammy didn't like to play David Lee Roth songs. Not surprised. And um, so let's say in a show of about 16 songs, there would be like four uh, David Lee Roth songs. songs. Yeah, it would be, and talking about love, yeah. jump, Maybe uh, Panama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the hits. Right, right. And I, I don't. I offhand, I can't think of what the fourth one would be, but it was definitely from, talking about love. Running with the devil every now and then. I don't think. I or, don't. Or honestly, or I mean, maybe something from Van Halen too, or um, the uh, uh, women and children first. Maybe something from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh well. Who, that. Who, I, yeah, that's. Yeah. That's less than important. I'm sorry yeah. about getting distracted by that. One of the things that I like about it is um, there's a song 
by fallout boy uh called my songs know what you did in the dark and um uh, there's no question in my mind that fallout boy is referencing this song when they when they mention that they're on fire because it's the same sort of um uh, falsetto that and it's the perfect sort it's kind of like those t-shirts that i like where um if you know you know and if you don't know it doesn't distract you at all and i feel like that's the way that it works with that um particular fallout boy song um in in conclusion i can only say that this is this is absolutely a stunning album to me it remains a stunning album to me I have to be honest that for for me, since it's all about me, um, for me, this particular um, week was less of a revelation only because I'd already encountered the revelation in the past. You see, that, that's actually what I was thinking of. I was like, how? Because, of course, the level of listening changes um, album by album. I feel, I, I feel like it changes more for you than it does for me. It's pretty consistent. I'm th- this is this is my album. Like what whatever like th- like as in like this is my album of the week. Gen like the week mm. before these we plan these pretty far ahead. So there's sporadic listening, but in the week before, this is my album that I'm just like constantly listening to. So I'm curious, like how much listening did you do for? Th- I mean, of course we got our two song rule, but like how much? Like compared to compared to knowing what we have in the future, which I also know you won't exactly have to grind for. No, but no. um. <laughs> How much, like, like, how often was this, I guess, played in the classroom? Um, well, I played in the classroom this week. In the uh, past, uh, yeah, in the past two weeks this, since deciding this was the album. Here's the thing, and I'm going to let you guys in a little bit uh, behind the curtain, that I was, I was sick last week. Oh, yeah. And so I didn't listen to it at all last week. But um, we've known about it for probably about a month now. Yeah. And so, I, as I recall, I dabbled a little bit um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think that I was doing. I, I Kanye took took a bit of time for me because I wanted That's to. That's a dense one. That's yeah, dense it was one. very dense. Um, and so that that took more time than this. But to, in class, I would say this past week, I probably played it five or six times, um, and or. Um, played specific tracks uh, a number of times. It's it's a little bit hard because once again in in class it's it's a little bit different because I'm distracted by various things and grading. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, well, but this this album actually I felt pretty comfortable playing it with students in the room. I played it at a very low volume, but yeah. I had it on with students in the room. I know that they could hear the guitaring, but maybe not the guitaring. That, but but maybe but maybe not that David Lee Roth ain't talking about love. Right, right, right. But even even then, I don't. Basically, also not that I don't need to get too much into the minutia of my day to day affairs, but I feel a lot more comfortable playing something like this in class nowadays because at the point at which I'm playing music, the students are on their computers and have their own headphones on. Exactly. They, so I feel like it's less. Um, less of well I'll use the expression that I love so much less of a power move if students have other alternatives so uh, probably five or six times this week I would definitely call the power move given that I, I have a re- recently started um, dr- driving quite a bit and um, th- there is definitely a feeling of power when you have the radio and you're like we're going to listen to when you're in charge yeah when, when you're like well I guess we're guess we're listening to black again right. <laughs> um, but uh, to round this out um i've got my song ranking oh go for it go for it so um all so i, I will just name the, the three that are in the high all the rest are mid none mm-hmm. are low and um so the first high you really got me of course you're yeah, yeah. and the next high is atomic punk okay because i 
I'm, it's it's the everything about it. And and Mr. Brownstone. And Mr. Brownstone. <laughs> I love Mr. Brownstone. We, we, Guns and Roses is coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the uh, third one, I, I feel like I will have to defend, given how much I've been harping on it over the course of this podcast, but it is Ain't Talking About Love. Oh, uh, yeah. Because oh, it's, just the, it's... You don't get more rock and roll than that. You do not. And yeah. it is, it's a hilarious song. The guitar is phenomenal. The presentation of the vocals is phenomenal this is a song i would play to anyone and both simultaneously laugh and love this song just so much yeah oh i i but i think that also as far as the ain't talking about love thing goes um that it requires david lee roth to sell it a hundred percent i think that if, if you that song is not halfway right right you cannot it, it is a fantastic song. Well, I apologize that I'm not really a rankum sort of guy. It drives me a little bit crazy to try to do it because then I get boiled down into what my criteria is, all that sort of thing. I am curious, though, um, not that you need to defend your ranking too much, but why is an eruption in your high? Uh, okay. Do you so, count it separate so, or something? Uh, no, it is not counted at all because okay, it is then just, that's why. Okay. Because it is not counted. I, I should have good call. I didn't. I did not clarify that. Eruption is not counted at all. Uh, just because it is so honestly, it's also kind of because um, uh, if you listen to the song, the, the third song of the day, you remember we talked about Sabine's uh, Macarena talent. <laughs> um, I, I felt hard to judge it. Um, and that was kind of the catalyst of me being like, I don't know if I can judge it is because it's not as much like a composed. It's not a written it just doesn't it, feel like it, but it is composed it is it written. is composed it is so so what and I, it just it feels like a piece of showmanship what i'm hearing your criteria is if sabine cannot dance to it <laughs> it, it, it does but not well, count well, as a song <laughs> but also like i wouldn't put and i don't think i did back in that first aussie cast i don't think i did d, um, d right. either like the and it's not because it's instrumental. But you know what? Just in case anyone wants to uh, check you on that, that is available still yes. on Spotify. As on I Spotify. recall, it is uh, uh, bridging the gap number two. It's number two, but it is our first episode. Episode, right? And especially if you want to see how much more charming we are now than we <laughs> were before, to. and if you want to see a dramatic change, you should, you should check out bridging the gap number three, which we <laughs> did, where the mics broke halfway yeah, through. Yeah, the sound quality on number three. I apologize. You know, but you know what I. Uh, what I suggest is that you determine for yourself yes. whether the sound quality on number three yes. is acceptable. Um, that being said, we've already announced that um, Max has gone forth with uh, Pearl Jam 10, 10 for our next week. So we definitely appreciate uh, the time that you've spent with us. And um, please uh, keep in mind that um, once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. See you guys around. <laughs>